You could literally give it all away and you will end up with more than you even know what to do with. And I've, I've had that over the last year. I keep on telling myself that like when you go to the restaurant and someone is like, yeah, I want to get the expensive thing. It's like, we don't have that kind of money. We don't have that kind of money. We can't do that. And then I hear that voice that says, you'll, you'll, you'll always have enough. You'll always have enough. So this one's a different one. It's the first one I'm going to be speaking about my own experiences with all the different podcasts and what I've learned from it, kind of summarizing what's there. So if you're curious about some of the big nuggets, some of the gold nuggets that came out of it, uh, feel free to check this one out and it may inspire you to, you know, kind of know which episode you might be interested in. Hope you enjoy. Welcome to The Dream Beyond. I'm your host, Nick Tarasio. I'm a CEO, musician, and overall seeker of truth, inspiration, and simply put, how to live the most fulfilling life possible. Growing up surrounded by extremely wealthy and successful people gave me unique and unfiltered perspectives of those who have seemingly made it. And on The Dream Beyond, we're letting you in on what it really takes to achieve your dreams, what happens when it turns out your destination isn't the promised land you were expecting, and how to process the lessons from your past while mapping a course to true fulfillment. Let's get started. Hey, everybody. Uh, welcome to the show. Today, the guest is me. That's different. I don't normally do this. It feels weird. I actually don't know how people on YouTube do these hour-long talk-to-the-camera type things. Uh, so I will do my best to share of my experience and hopefully in an interesting way. And I appreciate you being here. So I'm going to talk a bunch about how this podcast came to be, what I've learned, uh, what the journey's been like, and uh, let's get it kicked off. So I've wanted to do a podcast for quite some time. And I think the hardest piece of it for me is like, well, there's a lot of stuff I like to talk about. Similar to Christina Wallace that we had on the show, I think I didn't even realize I was kind of like living the portfolio life and the portfolio career. And so I always struggled with like, what exactly would I be talking about? Would it be an aviation thing? Would it be a music thing? Uh, what other random crap that I'm into would be the thing on, on the top of the list. So I ended up trying to get to the heart of like, what is that thing that I'm really after? And it really touched on the fact that I've really struggled with fulfillment most of my life is that I, I'm definitely one of those people I believe I've had more than I appreciated at any point in my life. And being surrounded by the people I've been surrounded with, again, growing up in an aviation company, being around some of the most wealthy, successful, influential people that were living in, you know, in the lap of luxury, I really wanted to touch on like what, what was missing for them. And if they don't feel fulfilled, how am I ever going to feel fulfilled? So I've been chasing this external dream for most of my life. And the way that the show came to be and the way that the name came about was, I, I remember when I was little, I had all these dreams of, oh yeah, I want to have the big jet and a big house with 16 bedrooms or something stupid that was completely unnecessary. And, you know, it's, yeah, mansions and all the fancy grounds on the North Shore of Long Island and the home that has a, you know, on a ski mountain somewhere. Like when I, you know, when I was young, that was kind of the dream. It was all these silly, oh, I want to be a rock star. Uh, I want to be Axl Rose. It was all these things about like external stuff. But I never had a single thing that was about who I would be as a person and how I would feel. And yet when I was really honest with myself, it was all about chasing a particular feeling, right? It was, I want to, I want to feel good, right? Like on some level, I just want to feel good. And it's such a stupid word, like good, right? How are you doing? Good. But that's it. Like that was it for me is I just, I just want to feel good. And what does that really mean? How do I even define that? And I think for so many of us, it was like, oh yeah, 
I have all these external things that, that happen and then I'll allow myself to feel good. So I was thinking about, again, these were my early dreams and following those things and having, you know, success and living all these amazing things and not feeling good yet. I was like, well, I guess that's not really my dream then because my dream was not the stuff. It was the feeling and I didn't get it. So I think just getting a chance to talk to some people and, and hear people that had been on that arc of like, yeah, I got everything. I had the wife, the kids, the house, the jet, the business, the everything. I looked amazing from the outside and inside. I just didn't even want to be here. Uh, when I hear those people's stories and I hear them go through that journey and then find on the other side that it was actually the simple things in life. It was like a beautiful Tuesday, right? It wasn't like a crazy vacation or anything fancy. It was like just being with my family, being with my kids, playing with my dog, doing the work I do eating the food I like, sitting outside, uh, watching squirrels run around. Like when I heard those things, I was like, that's crazy. That seems so boring. Um, but then it kind of started to make sense. Like they have a dream beyond. So that was kind of the origin of it. I know it's a little bit of a drawn out explanation, but I really wanted the words to matter. And I, I am quite the perfectionist and I get really caught in loops about creative stuff. So the concept of that dream beyond was, I think it's something I really hold a lot. And I, I love asking people about that, which is like, all right, whether you lived your earliest dream or not, whether you got there or not, what's the next one that you had? Like the one you may not have even thought about it. And that to me, I think we just learned so much about a person when they answer that question. Like given everything you know today, what is the thing that really matters to you? Which is another way of asking that question. So I think, I mean, I'm really proud of the title. I'm, I'm proud of the name of the show. I'm proud of what we've done. And uh, mostly because I think I entered it, you know, at first I was like, why am I doing this? And a lot of times I ask myself, I do a lot of things. I don't know why I do it. A lot of times I just run ahead and I'm like, I just similarly, like, I feel like I want to do this. It's never... And that, that's a foreign thing for me. It's like, right, it just makes me happy. It makes me feel good. Or uh, for some of you artists and creatives out there, you almost feel like you have to throw up, like you almost need to vomit something out of yourself. It's like, if I don't create this thing, it's going to destroy me from the inside. And in many ways, it was like, I have this desire to tell stories. I have this desire to share things. But I also didn't want to be the center of attention, which is why this is such a weird show for me. It's weird for me to be the center of attention. In fact, I have a lot of imposter syndrome that comes up that's like, what the hell do I know? I just interview people that do cool shit. So I appreciate you listening. If you're still listening, I haven't gotten bored by what I'm sharing. And just know that this is a really big transition moment for me. It's a hard thing. In fact, I was asked when I first launched the podcast, I was told this was supposed to be the first episode it was me talking about my life and who I am and why the dream beyond. And I scrapped it. And I said, no freaking way is it going to be about me on the first launch. It feels so self-indulgent. Um, but you know, here we are. I don't even know how many episodes in. It's been quite, a, quite more than I honestly thought I'd ever do. And I thought this might be a cool time to reflect on it and kind of talk about some of the people I've met along the way. And I'm just going to riff with that a little bit. So I'm going to quickly go through the list and talk about what I took from some of the more impactful things that I heard. And it was really awesome, actually. I'll talk about how I even started the podcast because I knew I wanted to do it. I was like, why the hell would anyone say yes to me? I don't have this massive audience. I don't have any acclaim or fame or anything like that. And I was at an event on the Intrepid. And the speaker at this event was a guy named Chris Strickland, who is the first episode I ever did. And, and he spoke about his experience of ejecting out of a F-16. He wasn't supposed to survive and all this crazy stuff he went through. And man, oh man, I was nervous when I went up to him and I said, I know this is crazy. I'm a pilot, but like, you know, we have a lot in common trying to like figure out a way to build some rapport. And I just said, would you be open to potentially doing my first podcast? I'm looking for someone to, to, to do it. And it's, I run an aviation company and I just think your story would be amazing for people to hear. And thank God for Chris, he also believes in 
doing things that matter and doing things that are meaningful less than just optimizing for like furthest reach, biggest money return, like all that stuff. And so he took a gamble on me and, and, uh, really kind of coached me through. It was like, I'll, I'll make sure you get through it. I mean, this guy had media training from the Air Force. He's, he knows what's up. So it was really valuable for me to have that experience and, and have someone who took a gamble on me. By the way, my fiance just walked in to try to give me lemonade. Like, this is the best episode ever. We are, we are just crushing it right now on my solo show. So yeah, it was very sweet. I looked over at her with like daggers in my eyes. Like, why are you walking in in the middle of this episode? So yeah, I think that I got really lucky. And on some level, I do attribute a lot, a lot to luck. And I attribute the show to someone like Chris. I mean, really, it's, it's kind of getting to like, what is success in your own terms? That's one of the things he talked about. Um, and he talked about his creative process with, when, when, when writing his books and dealing with trauma and triggers. And it was like the perfect person for me to start with. So I'm so grateful that I, I, I had that at the beginning. Um, from there, I got to talk to Mark Moses. He runs CEO Coaching International. And you know, he really got into this idea that like that you actually can do anything you want if you could get out of the way of your own belief. And I know it's like so like soft and frou-frou to hear that. It's like, come on, really? What is this, a Disney movie? You just have to believe and then it works. But the other side to look at it is if you don't believe it's going to happen, it's 100% not going to happen. Like 100%, there's no freaking way you're ever going to do it, right? And so I think that Mark really touched on that idea of uh, whether you're delusional or not, doesn't matter. If you believe it's possible, at least you're going to be in the game. At least you're going to have a chance of it happening. If you think it's never going to happen, you're just limiting yourself and that's the end of the story. So uh, I, I really enjoyed that with Mark. Chip Conley, what an interesting dude. Um, I was fortunate to go down and check out Chip's Modern Elder Academy. And you know, this is a guy who's been an advisor for Airbnb. He was big in the hospitality world. Uh, and it just like, you know, talked about having a, a heart attack or you know, like going through all these experiences where he almost died. Actually, I think he told me about someone else who had a heart attack. I can't remember exactly what his medical issue was, but he had almost died. And he talked about kind of coming back from that experience and reframing what really matters. And for him, like fulfillment is obviously a lot of what drives him and what he built in Mexico. Uh, and I think they have a location in Santa Fe as well. Is really this space of when you're navigating transitions in your life, most people have never told you how to do it. And it's terrifying. Like we think like, I want to go and be a millionaire. That's a transition, right? I'm broke. I want to be a millionaire. You got to go through a transition. And, or like, hey, I'm going to get divorced and I need to go through that transition. Or, oh man, I just lost my job and I need to go through that transition. We're never really schooled on how to do that stuff. No one gives us those tools. And so many of us, I think, have this, again, Disney movie perspective of like, it's going to be so amazing when my life changes. And it's like, yeah, it will be amazing when you're there. It's going to suck getting there though. Bringing all that baggage, like having a part of you that has to die so that a new part of you can be born. So I really appreciate kind of hearing what Chip was up to and this idea of like what they're doing is alchemy. It's really cool to see what they're doing. Um, and, and again, it's like, you know, this idea that people get old and then they're useless and you just put them out to pasture, it's insane. And that's why I think what Chip was really talking to is we're living longer. We have a longer health span. We're not just going to sit in homes and rot and watch bullshit TV. We want to do stuff. We want to help. We want to share what, what we know. So I really love what he's trying to do to help people have a much richer life on the back half. Uh, John Levy, my buddy, John, um, John is a maniac. I love him. And, uh, hearing him kind of talk about uh, in so many ways, it like really broke me down when he started talking about how lonely people are and how much we crave that connection and this inverse relationship between money and community that 
we are designed, we are wired, we are fundamentally, emotionally designed to connect. I, I get it. I've heard all the stories. I understand why church communities exist. You know, I've, 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 I've rationally grasped the idea. But when John was talking about it, and he was just talking about how deeply alone we feel, how upset we are, and, and how it's almost like the more alone we feel, the more we chase that success, the more we're like, if I could just do more, then people will want me. If I could just have the bigger platform, like then I'll be the person on stage that everybody wants. But the reality is that it's almost like the more successful we get, the smaller the connection is, like the, the, the less people can have access to us. We're just so damn busy all the time. We're burnt out, uh, which we did speak about with Brittany as well when we talk about managing burnout. So it, it's, again, John, I always thought, saw as like this rational thinker, but to meet his emotional side and hear him really talk about, he's a, he's a new dad and it's like just... I'm moved by him as a person bringing these big ideas to companies about like, how do we really create connection within an organization? How do we do the stuff that matters and not lose sense of, it's not just a big PL. It's actually a group of people all working in a, in a shared goal and trying to have a space where they also feel good. Uh, going on to Elliot, Elliot Biznow is like uh, probably one of the most impactful people in my life. And he founded Summit Series and Summit really was kind of when my life started. It's like the first time in my life I found my tribe. I love what Elliot said. In many ways, he kind of blessed what I had chosen to do. Because I'm like, why do I do this podcast thing? Like, is this really the best use of my time? And when he said, you should just live like you are like you have a podcast, no matter where you are. Just ask people questions. Talk less, ask a lot of questions. And I, again, that is such a great reminder for someone, especially like me, who feels like I, my value is by being the smartest person in the room. Like I have to be there like giving answers and acting like I know what I'm supposed to be doing all the time. And instead, someone like Elliot is like, actually, you don't have to know anything, really. You could just sit and ask really powerful questions and people feel seen and they feel cared for. And that's what true connection comes from. It starts to create the foundations for intimacy. And again, what he's done in building the, the entire Summit community, along with the whole team that's there, has been the most profound shift in my life. I, I would almost say that I figured out who I was because of the Summit community, because I was like, I don't like that. I do like this. There's all these new things I've never heard of. And just in resonance with people that I would have never imagined spending time with, I really found out who I really was. So uh, really, really great episode. And again, super grateful for his friendship. John David Mann. Uh, wow. Uh, the Go-Giver. I've felt pretty selfish most of my life. And it's something that I actually would shame myself for. Cause I was like, I want to give more. I hear about all these people. I have so many friends, especially from the summit community who are out there. Like we're building these things that are helping starving people in Africa. And we're going to affect a billion lives in a positive way. I spent most of my life in survival mode. Like I truly have been like, there's just so little that I can give to others without feeling depleted or without resenting. I don't know if any of you experienced that where you're like, I really love this person and I want to take care of them, but I resent them because now I have to do shit for them all the time. And if any of you guys have pets or kids or partners or any other humans in your life, basically, right? Like we all, if our system's working, we really want to take care of those that we love, but we're generally so bad at boundaries and we're so bad at like creating those relationships of like, look, I love you, but I can't give you that right now. Because if I really did do that, I'd be like, shame on me for not having the energy to give more of my love. John's book, uh, the go-giver was such a simple and powerful reminder of honestly, there's nothing else to do. There's nothing else to do. If you just show up in service of other people and take care of, of all their needs, not only will you get that feeling I've been chasing the feeling good thing, 
But it's actually what businesses do. Like that's, it's so funny. I'm like, how do you make a million dollars to help everybody? How do you make a billion dollars? Help a lot more people than that, right? How do you make way more billions than that? I, I actually don't know the answer to that. But I, I really do believe that fundamentally we do villainize a lot of how wealth is generated. But at the very fundamental, when it works well, when it's done right, if you help millions and millions of people make a little change in their life, let's say each of those millions of people gives you a dollar, you have millions of dollars. If you help one person make a major shift in their life, maybe one person gives you $100,000, right? So just do the math. You want to help 20 people have major shifts in their life? Maybe that's $2 million. You want to help 2 million people make a small shift? Maybe that's also $2 million. And this idea of like, if you truly are just a person who just keeps giving and giving and giving, and you're giving from a place of love, not a place of obligation, not a place of fear, which again is why I think I was so resentful. I mostly gave out of obligation or not wanting to feel my own shame. When I'm truly giving from love, I don't know if you've all experienced this, but it actually energizes you. Like I've, I've had times where it's like, oh my God, the dog wants me to take him out. I'm just in like that moment of falling asleep. I really don't want to deal with this shit. But then I take him out and honestly, I feel really good. Like when he looks up at me on the way up the elevator, on the way back, and it's just like, thanks dad. Like there's something really, really beautiful about that. And, and I think that in many ways, the biggest lesson I took from this that played out in other ways is the inverse of that. I'm not good at receiving. That's why I was so bad at giving because I couldn't even receive the gift. So I'd spend all this time feeling like I was depleting myself, giving myself away. And yet in reality, of course, I was never feeling full because even when people showed up in service of me, my parents, my siblings, the company, my friends, my partner, even the dog, right? The dog would sometimes know I'm upset and come cuddle with me. Even when people I love would show up in service of me, I couldn't even take it in. So it was all my doing, right? I was giving out of obligation and I wasn't willing to receive. So I think that uh, what I took from that book as well, the concept of the go-giver, was that when you're the giver, when you are the one giving the gift, you actually win twice right? Because you actually get to bring joy to someone else that you care for, which there's truly nothing better, right? Like if our mirror neurons are working and our emotional systems are all working, right? When you give something to someone you care for and you watch their true sense of like, oh my God, thank you. I really appreciate this. I see, I feel your care and your action. Not only do you get that joy, but then you also actually feel really good inside of yourself, right? It's, it's, it's not just seeing that you helped someone that you love, but you also get that kickback. Um, and, and more and more, I've realized that when I feel like shit, I just need to go do something nice for someone I care about. And it's like, the, it's better than, I mean, I've never taken Prozac. I'm assuming that's what that's for, but I think it's like the natural Prozac. It's like, go to the gym and give something to someone you care about. Those two things, uh, I feel like really push us forward. So the go-giver is such a powerful tool and it requires something that I think is also really important to mention is it requires trust and, and, and a sense of like, there will always be enough for me. And that's also why I think I really struggled coming into this this last year. And because of a lot of these podcasts, that's been a really beautiful shift in my own mind is I had a lot of scarcity around money. Grew up, you know, we always struggled in the business and we were middle class around a very wealthy people. And so I always had this sense of like, we have to save our way into wealth, which isn't how money works, by the way. You just can't ever save enough to become wealthy. You could save a little to like have a decent nest egg. But in reality, if you want to create real money, real wealth, a real business, you got to spend stuff. And so most of my life was like, conserve, 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 spend less, simplify, reduce the amount of burden on my life financially. And the big mindset shift for me over the last year has been like, I don't even, I don't like that feeling. 
I never liked it. It's like, oh, cool. We saved a thousand dollars. Who gives a shit? It's not going to change my life in any meaningful way. You could literally give it all away and you will end up with more than you even know what to do with. And I've, I've had that over the last year. I keep on telling myself that like when you go to the restaurant and someone is like, yeah, I want to get the expensive thing. It's like, we don't have that kind of money. We don't have that kind of money. We can't do that. And then I hear that voice that says, you'll, you'll, you'll always have enough. You'll always have enough. It doesn't say you're going to be stupidly wealthy. It doesn't say any of that shit. It just says you'll always have enough. And I think what I take that to mean is for what really matters when it comes to the joy, the love, that like feeling of feeling good inside of you, you'll always have enough to have access to that feeling. All the other stuff is bullshit. And, and I think that's kind of the, the point I take from the go-giver is we invent all these reasons that we can't be giving and they're all bullshit. I, I'm so moved by that book. And I, I really hope that if you haven't listened to that podcast, I hope you find your way to it. Justin Donald, uh, Justin's such a cool guy. And I love anybody that really knows themselves to the level that he knew himself, which is like, yeah, I don't really want to like do a lot of work stuff. I really would be more interested in building a life that has that richness of family and richness of being there to watch my kids grow up. And not only that, like, let me help other people do that too. I think that most of us get caught in, in a system and, and get caught in the wheel and we end up getting run over by the things that, yeah, we're like we're going to work to make money, but then it's like, it kind of controls us the other way, which is like, actually I've given my entire life away to work and I missed all the life part. Um, so I, I really love what Justin is teaching people is like, how do you create some of that passive income so that you can do more of the things you want? And by the way, Justin's point isn't like just to go and do nothing, right? It's not like make a bunch of money and then sit and do nothing. It's like, no, make a bunch of money so that money's not in the conversation. When you think about what you actually want to do with your life, you can remove that as, as, as what it is. And again, for some people, it's like, I love my job. I work my ass off. I get paid well. Great. I support that too. I, I really love though his message. Again, it's like rich is not having a lot of, sorry, rich is having a lot of money. Wealth is having a lot of time, right? So like he's, he's really defining it as like, don't chase the money piece, find ways to have more time in your life. If that requires lots of money, then figure that out too. Uh, but you know, again, it's like breaking that trap of consumerism, finding what really real financial freedom is and changing your, the, the relationship to money, which is it's the number one reason people get divorced is money, right? It's the most taboo thing. You could talk about religion, politics, sex, anything. You can talk about just about anything in America. What you can't talk about is money. You can't go to a person and say, how much money do you have in the bank? Huh? How much money do you make every year? It's like the biggest taboo subject. So I think Justin is really helping people shift their relationship in that way. And it was, again, I don't think anybody's saying anything earth shattering here. There's no like, wow, I've never thought of that before. It's like, these are all reminders. And I think that's also an important thing to realize is this show was never meant to make you feel small or less than, or like you have so much more to learn. It was actually more here to say like, you already know this stuff. You fundamentally know it. We just forget, right? We, we forget. We knew it when we were little kids. We knew it when we would like play with other kids and share our food and not get caught up in all the bullshit that, that we do. It's like, we were good people. We all start out as good people and then we forget all this stuff. And so I think this podcast was really a chance of saying like, you already know this. Let's just Let's just give you a little kick in the ass to say, here's who you really are. And I think Justin does that in a lot of ways, which is like, you know, money's not the most important thing, but so many of us live that life that way. Anna Yusim, I have somehow turned into a spiritual asshole. I don't know how that happened. I talked about it on the show. You know, I, I went from my Catholic upbringing to being an angry atheist, to being a tepid agnostic and then winding up like, all right. I'll be like spiritually agnostic, which is like, I'm kind of secretly spiritual, but I'm going to say agnostic so that I don't get made fun of. And then 
it got more and more spiritual. And then I started to notice that I was just lying to myself about how spiritual I really am. And Anna, in many ways, gave me permission to realize like, well, if the name of the game is feeling good, science would suggest, psychology would, would, would suggest, and statistics would suggest that spiritual people and people that believe that there's something outside of themselves are happier people on average. So knowing that my goal was to feel happy, it is in my best interest to find some sort of spiritual connection. So here's what I'd say. If you don't agree with it, fine. I'm okay with that too. I hope you find something. I hope you're just happy in whatever experience you have. My goal was never to spread the message of spirituality, tell anyone that they're supposed to believe what I believe. To that end, if you're not happy and you don't believe in anything, maybe just consider that finding something outside of yourself, whatever it is, make it up. I don't care. Make, make, make a fake thing. Like One of the most powerful things someone said to me, I was 27 years old and I was getting a massage at Massage Envy of all places. Like This is a dumpy massage place. Sorry, Massage Envy. I'll never get a sponsorship from them, but I'm not seeking money anyway, so it doesn't matter. But it was like, you know, it's not dumpy. That's not fair. It is mid-tier at best. It is a mid-tier. It's the Chipotle of massages. When I was there, um, I was really lucky to have this guy, Rocco, who was this like little old Italian man with these just brick hands that would just drive his fingers right through me. And I was talking to him about spirituality and stuff like that. And he, he said to me, you never need to apologize for creating the myth of your own life. I really sat with that. Like, what the hell does that even mean? And as I've gotten older, I've realized that no one knows, right? Like nobody knows. Anyone that tells you that they know, they're full of shit. They're absolutely full of shit. We all have ideas. We all think, you know, like it could be this. And I choose to believe it's this. But if someone tells you like, this is definitely what it is, bullshit, 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 ignore them. If they're in your family, don't ignore them. Maybe just look the other way around that topic. But I, I think that anyone that absolutely thinks that they know is, is kind of missing the point. And it's, it's, inappropriate for any of us to go around shaming someone for their belief system, right? Unless if you have a belief system that says like, I could go around murdering people, like maybe we should talk about that belief system. If you're hurting other people with what you believe, I'm going to disclaim the shit out of that and say that's not acceptable. But if you're not hurting anybody and you believe whatever you want to believe, great, great. You should be allowed to believe that. And that was why I think Rocco's feedback was so important for me because I'd been so afraid of disappointing people with what I believe in, of like having people shame or judge me for like, you asshole, like, don't you only believe in science? Like, how could you believe in spirituality? How can you believe you go anywhere when you die? I was always afraid of that criticism and judgment, but that's like, that was the permission of Rocco. And so it's like, emotionally, he gave me that permission, but then Anna kind of sealed the deal for me and said like, look, science would suggest this is in your best interest, right? It's in your best interest to believe in something. And the fact that Anna's taking it to the next level and really trying to figure out like, what is that connection between spirituality and mental health? And so- uh, yeah, I'm really grateful for that conversation. And as I'm talking, I'm like, basically this podcast is building Nick. Like I should have just called it, called it like uh, constructing Nick because this is really what it's turned into. It's like I basically have asked people questions about the shit that I really struggle with and they give me these amazing answers and I'm so much better off for it. And then I hopefully have people listen as a fly on the wall and learn something from it. So uh, yeah, I'm a lucky person. The next person I spoke to was uh, Connor Beaton. Again, Connor's like a like just a cool dude. A lot of times I see speakers that talk on a topic and I'm like, I don't care. Cause I'd never want to be you. Right. You're like, I don't know what, like you'll see like a fitness coach or you're like, you don't look good though. You don't look like you take care of your body. Uh, or, you know, again, it's like a, it would be like getting a style consultant who dresses like shit. Like Connor's living it. 
And he's like, he's just like a cool dude. He's like a, a like he's like the he's the the masculine if it was truly the evolved masculine. And he's got so much heart and he's so calm and compassionate and able to show up with his hand out for people that are, you know, for men that are really struggling. They're really in a dark space. And I mean, man, with him, I just love more than anything. I don't know if this was a meta message or if he actually shared this is I grew up with the concept that I think most of us grew up with masculinity is like masculinity is the hard shell. It's the, I don't cry. You know, it's the pat on the back. Like you're okay. Right. You're doing good. Right. Instead of saying like, how are you feeling? How are you feeling right now? It's the, it's the shaming, the emotion. It's the shaming anything other than anger. Anger is totally fine. Right. As like a, as like a dude's dude, you could run around being pissed off all the time. But it was interesting to hear Connor kind of talking from such a deep level of vulnerability and the stories he shared in his book. It's like, oh my God, how did you put that out there and not just crawl under a rock? And I think that is the invitation of that is all that shit that we're so afraid someone would know about us is exactly where we need to be. Right? It's exactly where we need to be, especially as men. And if you're if you're a woman who's trying to support a man, it's that too. It's that reminder of like, you know, it's okay. It's okay. Like I understand you're angry, but I want to know what you feel underneath that. And I, I just recently read uh, Brene Brown's view on anger. And she has this argument that anger is a secondary emotion. It's not a core emotion. And we we define anger as a core emotion. And she even says a lot of a lot of the experts disagree with her, but you know, I got to say, looking at what she said, I kind of happen to agree with her is anger is the indicator of a deeper emotional experience that's going on that we're not willing to face. And that is absolutely true for me. It's, it's, I'm pissed off because whatever it was, we had a bad year, right? Like we had a bad year in the company, blah, blah, blah. So I'm pissed off and I'm angry. I'm going to go throwing shit all over the place. But really what it is, I'm afraid. And that's the thing that's not safe to say. And I, I, I really like that Connor just being Connor inspires us as men to say more of that stuff. It's like, yeah, I'm afraid. I'm scared. And I know I'm supposed to have this idea in my head from the way I was raised that like, what woman would want to be with a guy who says he's scared or less than or fearful? Don't women want this like alpha jock asshole who has no emotions outwardly and just like, I got you no matter what happens and I'll beat the shit out of anyone that comes near you. Like that's always the idea that I think many of us were, were raised on. And I know Hollywood didn't help with that at all. Uh, but again, that's what I really appreciate about Connor was we have a lot of rewiring what our early concept of manhood are and 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 turning it into what real manhood looks like, what, what what real masculinity is. So man, glad he's doing the work and just glad to know people like that. Bill Donius is the next one I got to speak to, the next person. And and Bill has become a very significant figure in my life in a strange way. Is like I'd met him years ago. Uh, at a conference where he was teaching people how to write with their left hand, basically, or, or their non-dominant hand. Because for you lefties, I know it's the other side. And I was like, it's cool. It's a cool tool. It's a cool tool to like unlock creativity or to basically get past your own filter, right? A lot of times, especially on the, create, the, the creative process, if we're really frustrated, it's often we're frustrated because we're filtering as we're trying to create. We're like, this is stupid. That's dumb. This isn't good. No one would like that. And it's like, no wonder why nothing's coming out. And so we get stuck and we, we, we get these creative blocks. Bill's process is really powerful for just without even realizing how you just bypass all that stuff. You're like, I'm just going to start moving my hand on the page and see what comes out. Now, again, super cool. I love that. I actually got to go to Chip's Modern Elder Academy to see Bill do this for days. We got to go through, it was like a whole course and he taught us a lot about it. But what I didn't expect out of this is 
Um, you know, again, people talk about journaling, the importance of journaling on a daily basis. And when you journal and you kind of free flow your journaling, you get to learn a lot about yourself. Well, I started using this process where I would journal with my right hand and then I'd switch to my left hand. And it was insane. I started to see conversations happening between different parts of myself. And if I can't, like, it, it, it probably sounds on the surface, like you're out of your freaking mind and you have multiple personality disorder. For what it's worth, and this will be a future episode, we're going to get into parts work, internal family systems. Like it's an incredible, it's an important modality of therapy. And the reason why I'll say you're not crazy as a person when you do this is our brains are parallel processors. So we don't process uh, linear information that way. If you think about it, we learn that in different contexts, we need to be different people, right? So if you've ever noticed, like when I'm with my mom, I'm different. When I'm with my brother, I'm different. When I'm at work, I'm a different person. And it's not like we're trying to be different. Our brains actually just do different things because they are parallel processors that learn different contexts. So what I didn't realize is by doing this right hand, left hand writing was that I actually got to meet my different processes. I got to meet, I got to see my parallel processor and I actually got to have conversations between different parts of myself. And that allowed me to almost support myself in a way like normally I'd have to go to therapy or get a coach or have someone say like, did you hear when you did that? I'm like, no, I didn't even notice I said those words. Now I'm doing it between my hands. Now I'm literally doing it by myself in a way that was really cool. And so I would honestly say that of almost every process I've tried, this has actually become part of my daily practice. Every day I do left hand writing and I've found out stuff about myself that I could not even imagine. So like, as an example, I would write something like, um, Hey, I woke up kind of feeling off today and I don't know why. And I'm sure you've all experienced this, right? You wake up, you're like, was it a dream? Did I not sleep well? Did I eat shitty food last night? I don't know what it is, but I feel off and I don't know what that is. So I could write with my, with my right hand, Hey, I'm feeling a little bit off and I don't really know what to do about that. Can you offer me any wisdom on it? And then I literally just switch the switch hands and without thinking, I just start moving the hand and it'll tell me some deep shit. It'll be like, well, there was a comment that was made yesterday and that really upset you. Like, do you even recall that? Then I switched to the other hand. No, I actually don't recall that. What was it about that? That was so upsetting. I switch back to the left hand. And it's like, well, it was upsetting because it actually scared the shit out of you again. And it's like, I'm not usually willing to go down to that, that level. And so I found that by writing with the other hand, it actually allowed me to bypass that, that masculine shield, right? And I, maybe on some level, as I'm talking, there's almost this crazy wisdom in the order of the podcast, but it was like, Connor showed me that I have this incredible shell. That's like, I can't go inside that vulnerable core, God forbid. And then Bill, on the other hand, showed me how to get in there and how to get in there. And it's almost like, like a, like a sneaky fuck. Like you're like, I'm going to sneak past all the, all the like cameras and alarm systems. I'm going to get right into the core and I'm going to watch it right out on the page in front of me. I was like, whoa, that's pretty amazing. So, uh, again, Bill's methodology, Bill's practices, like I highly, highly encourage people to look at the work he's doing. None of it's that complicated. That's what I love about all these. Nothing anyone shared on the podcast is all that complicated. It's pretty simple stuff. Literally, it's just switching hands with your pen and trying to see if you get out of your own way and just write without thinking. Like move, make scribbles. If you're curious about it again, like check out the episode, check out his work. It's really great stuff. On to that, we went, we, we ended up with Peter Shallard. And Peter is literally like one of my dearest friends inside Circle. Uh, someone that has shown up for me. Like, you know, like the kind of friends that would sit you down and have an intervention. Like that's, that's the kind of friend Peter is. He'd be like, Hey dude, you're fucking your life up. And it like says it in, in, in the most loving way. And don't worry. It wasn't like a drug intervention. It wasn't like a drinking intervention. It was just like a, Hey Nick, you really struggle in intimacy. And I want to po point that out to you. I want to, I want to point out to you that, uh, you're someone who really is afraid of, uh, you're afraid of losing yourself in relationship to another person. So that's why Peter, like Peter really knows me. He's super on the inside circle. And 
I never know what Peter and I are going to talk about. This episode is really, was really fun for me because Peter is one of, truly one of the smartest people I know. It's like, you know, when you have someone in your life that no matter what you say, they can offer something of value, but not even something of value, something that's like on page 34 of this book by this author you've never heard about, there was actually this comment that speaks exactly to the thing that you're talking about. I'm like, Peter, what the hell's wrong with your mind? Like, how do you have all that shit in there and then still like have a loving family and like show up with high emotional intelligence? It's the most, he's the most confusing person I know. He, he should not exist as a human. And that episode was fun for me because we really talked about the permission to make mistakes. And I think that that entrepreneurship concept of like, I don't want to climb the wrong ladder and him saying like, well, actually you should just climb the ladder. I don't even care what ladder is, just climb the damn ladder. Cause when you get to the top of it, there'll be a different ladder you can climb. And if you just stay here, you're only going to have the same shitty ladders in front of you. So that episode was really great. It was really just the permission to, we're going to make a lot of mistakes and that's fine, but it's not really a mistake if you learn from it. And when you look at your life backwards, like this, I think was the real meta blessing of what, what, what Peter was saying from any point you are, if you just stop and you turn around, you'll realize your life is this perfect tapestry of climbing the most random ladders. And therefore, they were all pretty damn great in their own way. They were all the ladder you needed to be on. Uh, and again, there's a lot of other stuff he spoke about in the episode, but that's the thing I really took away from it is, yeah, it's super confusing going forward. It makes no goddamn sense. Like, I have no idea. When I look at my life going forward, I'm like, how the hell is this happening? Or how did I get here? Or why is this the shit that's coming up right now? Or why, why did I break my knee in 2019? Like, all these things made no sense. But when I look backwards, a great example is my knee. When I broke my knee, I look backwards on it. and I, at the time, I had put myself into Krav Maga so I could overcome that feeling of like, I got bullied as a kid and I want to feel what it's like to be a man in my body. I want to know what it's like to feel like I could protect myself and the people I love, that I wouldn't just like pee myself if someone tried to attack me, which by the way is what happens if someone pulls a gun on you, apparently. I thought about it. I was like, yeah, I'm going to do this thing. It was great. And it, it was the best shape I ever got in in my life. It was I was at the point where I was doing like ropes courses and all these crazy things. And I felt like, wow, I'm a machine and I'm a warrior and people are afraid of me. And the worst part of it all was that I didn't do it out of self-love. I was actually self-abusing my way into shape. It was like, I'll finally be lovable enough if I had a six pack. I'll finally be lovable enough if I could swing with one arm or if I could, you know, not feel afraid when someone is, you know, physically threatening me. And I'm almost so glad when I think about it, it was almost so perfect that I broke my knee because I started to over-identify that I am my physical self. When I broke my knee, I was like, well, I'm more than my broken knee. I'm more than the person who has to sit on the couch all the time and has to be like ushered around and needs the help of other people. Uh, so yeah, it, 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 how the hell does this work so well? Grant Corgan was next. In many ways, I didn't even realize I was teeing that up. So Grant Corgan is the lesson of what my knee was. And I never made that connection before. It was a tough one for me. And it was a tough one for, I think, anyone listening to it. Grant's story and please go listen to the whole thing again. I mean, my encouragement is I'm sharing what I took from these things, but the depth and, and, and the nuance of what they shared is so powerful. Grant was like the guy who had everything, like good looking dude, doing crazy stunts, like just master of the universe, breaks his spine, loses his ability to move from his, from his waist down. And this idea of like, he kept on saying like, we'll, we'll suffer until we get the lesson that's coming for us. And I think that was the point of my knee. And, and I asked Grant, like, what is the lesson you were avoiding before you 
paralyzed, like you know, paralyzed yourself essentially, like got paralyzed from, from the fall. He said, I wasn't willing to receive the help of others. I literally had to be bedridden and incapable of moving to learn to receive the help of others. And on some level, that was my need for me too. It was like I, I had over-identified as like, because I'm now stronger than I was and because I now look better than I did before, somehow I think I'm better. But man, that is just setting someone up for failure because it's like, I don't know if you remember how the back of life goes, but it's us falling apart slowly. It's like watching our skin start to do funny things and we can't do the things we used to do. And so I'm like, in many ways, it's like such a gift to get the lesson instead of slowly suffering the fear of death and trying to stop the aging process. I think that's really what I took from Grant was like, in order to live well, you have to know how to die well in some crazy way. And right. And like, we're not dead. But a part of us dies constantly. There's moments in life, there's those transition points, going back to the whole Modern Elder Academy concept, there's, there's these transition points where if we don't die well in those moments, we suffer that transition way longer than we need to. And I think that's what Grant showed is like, he got in a lesson that I hope none of us ever have to experience to learn that lesson of receiving help or whatever lesson's trying to come for you that you're not willing to open the door for. And in many ways, that 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 was the blessing of my knee as well as 18 months of losing a sense of my ability to be autonomous and move and needing people to bring food and do all this crap. Um, but yeah, great lesson in looking backwards. So again, talking about closing the loop on Peter and talking about Grant, amazing episodes. Wow. There's so many other ones and I know I'm going really long, so we may have to make this a two-parter, but I also want to say thank you to Ashley, who's been helping produce the whole damn thing and put it all together and coordinate my life and the podcast and just everything. Um, she's literally sitting, uh, watching me as I do this because I realized I couldn't do it by myself. So Ashley, thank you for being the audience of one that gives me all the juice to do this stuff. So the next episode was Christine Meyer, who I met years and years ago. And like the standout moment when I met Christine was we were in like a CVS or something like that in Sedona, Arizona, spiritual vortex capital of the world. And we were in the CVS and we ended up being like, we found a whoopee cushion and we were like, she's like this amazing mature adult and I'm not. And so like, we're just sitting there like making fart sounds with the whoopee cushions. And we, it just became like this bonding moment of like, I love that she doesn't take life so seriously. It was such a good reminder of like, don't take it so serious. You're, it's only as hard as you make it. And that is like truly the essence of, I think what Christine gave me in that episode and just in, in who she is as a person again is like, why are you so attached to making life so hard? And what are you getting out of that? And when you realize that, or definitely when I realized that I was so attached to the idea of life being hard because it somehow justified my path. If, it, if life was easy, then I had to actually grieve the fact that I had just overcomplicated everything. So I'd fight her tooth and nail, like life's not that easy. In fact, we have an upcoming episode that's going to be the follow-up to that with her. Um, yeah, it's just like, life can't be that easy. And it's like, all right, fine. Like, I'm not going to argue with you. Go and go and keep doing that. Like, if you want it to be hard, that's fine. Uh, the other thing that I think she really, like, I actually got emails about this. I got messages from people about this. My question, which was so misguided in hindsight was, Hey, so how do you learn to be with the, 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 the discomfort of desire? How do you learn to be with the, the pain of wanting things that you don't have. And I'm expecting some like process for learning how to like, yeah, this is how you hold that discomfort. And she just like hit me with the most unexpected response of, well, you shouldn't feel discomfort for wanting and you shouldn't have any negative experience of desire. That would suggest that there's something else going on there for you. Ugh. Like it was like, ah, shit. 
I shouldn't have even brought this up. Like, why did I bring this up? Now I have to process this hard reality that I don't allow myself to want without shaming myself for it. Without, like, there's always this other voice. We talk about parallel processing, like the internal family system stuff. One part of me says, like, I would really like this thing. And another voice inside my head goes, you ungrateful piece of shit. Like, how dare you? How dare you want this? Like, you should be grateful for what you have. Why do you need more? And it was hard to hear that. It was hard to process that. Like, I mean, again, Christine would not encourage me to be so hard on myself and nor do I want to be, and nor am I that hard on myself. I'm being a little bit facetious, but it's real. It's real that there's this, I want, and I immediately shame that desire. I immediately have this, like, am I ungrateful? Like there's people that have so much less than I do. How could I dare want anything more than that? And I think that that's something we need to give ourselves a lot of permission for, which is like we all have our experiences, right? We all have our experiences. We all have our station in life. We all have whatever journey we've been on. And so often, like, it would be a losing game in hindsight to say the only person who can feel like they have enough is the one with the least in the entire world. Because everyone else, there's someone who has less than you. Like, it's, it just doesn't make sense. I do think that there's something to that for a lot of people. And I, I got quite a few messages from, from others saying like, that is such an unlock. I have not allowed myself to have desire and want, which tees up the next person who is the perfect person to talk about desire and want, which is Jaya. Jaya's episode was the scariest I talked about in the episode. It is absolutely still probably the scariest episode I've put out. I kind of blocked it out of my mind. So even now, as I'm like looking at some of the old notes, I'm like, oh my God, that is so terrifying. And I've had people mention it to me like, oh, do you remember when you said this in the Jaya episode? I'm like, oh God, no, 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 no. She is helping people overcome so much trauma in so many ways. And the way that she views life is like, it's supposed to feel good, right? Like truly, if you know, I was searching for like, I want to feel good. And then you have a person who's like, you know, it's all supposed to feel good. The whole damn thing. It's all here for you. It's all the fruits for you to enjoy. And not in like a hedonistic way. And that's, I think, partly where like I had this part of me, again, like I want life to feel good. I want to chase feeling good. And the counter argument's always like, well, then you're just going to end up on a hedonic treadmill. It's just going to be more and more and more. Just start doing cocaine then until you drive yourself into the ground because that's that endless seeking more and trying to like keep dopamine, dopamine, dopamine. I really like that her perspective is like, no, like it all should feel good. Even not doing should feel good. Doing nothing should feel good. And, and of course, like the sex topic, it's like, ah, we're not allowed to talk about that. That triggers all my Catholic upbringing and guilt. Um, but yeah, I, I, I just love that she stands for, and I mean, the courage it takes for a woman to come out knowing about like all the slut shaming that goes on in the world. It's like, God forbid you're a woman who's pro-sex. And then it's like, we're going to talk about all this negative stuff and shame you and try to attack you. And she's like, I don't give a shit. This is my calling. I'm going to go out there and make sure that everyone knows that they are allowed to feel good in their body. In fact, that's the whole freaking point. Like we said before, if giving, like going back to the go-giver, if giving doesn't feel good, something's wrong. Something's wrong. Someone told you something that isn't true. Someone maybe did something to you that is not right. And so Jaya is not just saying like, go do things that feel good. It's like also face the darkness, face the trauma, move through those things. Make your system work. You should feel good in your body. And that's really what this is about. And again, I, her concept of sex is not just like the physical, like I want an orgasm. That's not what this is about. It's about you should feel pleasure in your body no matter what the hell you're, you're actually doing. If you're working, playing, sleeping, laying in a bathtub, I feel like I just turned into a Dr. Seuss rhyme, but I, 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 I love it. And, and I hope to hold Jaya's concepts more in my heart. My God, there's been a lot of episodes. Divya is, uh, 
really speaking on a topic that I've been really curious about for a long time. And I grew up with a lot of autoimmune stuff, a lot of digestive issues. So it's been really hard for me to get that mind-body connection working and to feel like that whole totality and self. So again, talking about like Jai is talking about we should feel good in our body. Divi is talking about like the actual ways that for thousands and thousands of years, the oldest system of medicine and self-care is Ayurveda. Uh, so I think it's something to pay attention to. And it's easy to be like, oh, modern science is better. Not really. Not really. When you look at like the amount of health epidemics that are going on in this country, mental health, physical health, overweight, like the, all this stuff that's going on, it, it is, it's incredible that we just discard this information. It's like, hey guys, we spent thousands of years optimizing this thing, maybe pay attention. So Divya's on the front line showing people how to do it. And uh, yeah, it's fantastic. It's a really beautiful thing to do. It sometimes seems really hard and scary and we've all heard it, right? Exercise, eat well, sleep, listen to your body. We've heard it. Nothing here is ground, like groundbreaking or earth shattering do it. Just do it. Like it's, I struggle with it too, but there's something to that idea of really starting to find that inner wisdom. And that's what Ayurveda is. It's really saying, how do you connect with that inner wisdom? Your body knows what it needs. Quick story here is you may have heard of stories of like uh, women in Africa that would eat the clay. There was a certain clay that they would eat when they were pregnant. I hope this is accurate, but somehow a scientist or some groups of researchers had tried to figure out like, why are these women eating the clay? And they found that they actually had a mineral deficiency and the clay had that exact mineral. And so it's like, there is something to our inner wisdom that we actually know what we need if we listen and we stop, you know, numbing ourselves out with all the other crap that we do, which is like shitty food, whatever, you know, over-caffeinating. I love ice cream, but it can be a real downfall for some of us. On to Christina Wallace. Um, man, I want to be Christina Wallace when I grow up. Just someone who is just everything, right? It's like the artist, the parent, the Harvard professor, like just damn, she's just got it all going on with the portfolio stuff. And I've, I did not know about portfolio life uh, or, or portfolio careers until I spoke to Christina. And it just, again, gives people permission of like, don't, don't be one thing. Don't be one dimensional. Honestly, this whole like, ma you know, master of, or, or jack of all trades, master of none bullshit. No, like it's, it's a good thing. It was originally a compliment. Uh, don't try to just master one thing. I've met some of the best people at like the best guitarist in the world or the best physicist in the world. They're boring. They're boring people. No offense to them. Like I admire how hard they worked on things. But one note, people are so boring. Don't be your boring self. Like go rich, be all the things, chase all the things you're curious about, be as multidimensional as you want to be. And if you do want to be one note, I apologize. And actually I don't because you're boring. I still don't want to hang out with you. So I don't feel like I have a lot to lose. Uh, Brittany Jewett is our last one that we did. And Man, Brittany has become uh, a coach for me and uh, really helping me face some of the things that I find really challenging in the same way that I'm afraid of what masculinity is supposed to look like. You know, it's like I'm supposed to show up a certain way. The most toxic role or title I've taken on in my life is CEO. I don't know how to do that. Like I didn't, now I do, but actually that's not even true. I still don't know how to do it. That's probably more accurate. Uh, I didn't know then, and I still don't know now. That's probably the, the the best way to say it. It's there's no great guides for what it is to be a CEO. There's a lot of ways to learn the tactics. There's a lot of ways to like you get your MBA, or you could you know follow the guidebooks that are like this is the optimal leadership strategy. The reality is that CEO is really I don't know. There's so much more responsibility there. And again, this goes back to the spiritual side of it. Is like my job is to bring my heart to the company. 
My job is to build something that I could not live without, right? It's like something that I'm going to put my ass on the line and do something that statistically makes no sense. We know all the winners of business, but we don't hear about the thousands of businesses that fail, right? We don't hear about these people that put everything on the line. Their families have suffered because they, they gambled all of their savings on trying to build a business and it went to shit. That to me is what I think of when I think of like what a real CEO is. It's someone who's willing to say like, I believe in the mission of this company so damn much that I'm willing to put my entire ass on the line, my reputation, every waking moment. Because the reality is when a company takes a left turn, the CEO's on the front lines with everybody. It's true. They're going to build a team. They're going to do all that stuff. And yeah, we're going to build my executive team. I'm going to have them handle all the day to day. But this is the person that is ultimately responsible for everybody. Like They are the captain of the ship. And so I do believe that no one told me Hey, Nick, the, the, the entire hierarchy of business is upside down. You're not at the top of the pyramid. You're actually at the bottom because the shit rolls downhill, right? You're in service of everyone on the team. You are truly a servant leader. This is not like you run around saying, because I'm the CEO, you do what I say. That's bullshit. That's the old way of business. And I think in a lot of ways, what Brittany is helping people do is by saying, um, you know, this is about people first. That's all, that's, again, that's all the company is. It's about the people first. And you're trying to create a shared mission and a shared vision and shared goals, but you have to treat, treat people well because they're not machines. They're not these things you plug in and you don't just buy a new one and then exhaust it and throw it away and buy the newer model. How do we actually show up in service of the people that are in our company? And how do we both have the hierarchy of like, yes, I have a title hierarchy. I am above people in title. I am no more valuable. I am no more valuable than any other person as a human. Brittany's helping people bring that to their leadership. And she's helping me do that too. So I'm forever grateful for what she does and how she does it. And, uh, you know, again, it's I, I, what I love about her is she has no ego. She doesn't have, like, she's just so humble about, like, she truly is in service. And I think that's why a lot of her work is for nonprofits. So I'm very lucky that as a, as a for profit company, um, I get to have someone like that as a resource and, and someone to guide me. So with all that said, here we are. I'm way over time from what I expected to do. And we completely went off script from what we thought we were going to do today. Uh, but I, I will say some closing thoughts. I can't believe that I get to do this actually. Like I can't believe that, you know, of all the things I got to do in my life, I've had a dream as well of having a voice that mattered. And in, in much of that, it was because growing up in the way I grew up, growing up in the Catholic church and growing up around the school system I was in, it was kind of like, Hey, don't, don't shake it up too much. Like get in line, do the things that we're supposed to do and get good grades at them. And this is not the teaching of my parents. That was never, I mean, they, they shook it up by building an aviation company. But I think that generally speaking, we're actually afraid of people who have something to say that's different. Most of us fear it because if, if they're right, God forbid they're right. And they say something that is different from what we believe. We may have to face ourselves. We may actually have to look in the mirror and say, shit, there's something that I fell short on, or there's something that I need to go work on because now that I know it's a problem, I would be a, I'd be a shitty person if I didn't do something about it. But when I'm ignorant, it's fine. I don't have to do anything when I'm ignorant. And so I was always the person that was like, I don't want to make anyone feel uncomfortable. I don't want them to reject my ideas. Like there's so much shame that would come along with that. I don't, I'm not interested in being, actually my friends would argue, but I'm not that interested in being that provocative. Like I'm not really looking to poke people in the eye and say like, Hey man, look what I'm going to throw your tables over. That was never the spirit of it. At the real heart of this, to be able to share stories of others that I admire and respect and to share about the places that I'm still feeling like I have a long way to go is crazy to me. Like I never thought that this would be possible. 
And to hear that it actually helps others is even more crazy to me, especially when it comes from people that I'm like, wow, I look up to you. Like I thought that you're the one who has it all figured out. And you're coming to me and saying like, Nick, thank you for sharing that. That's actually what's true for me too, under the surface. In all honesty, like I've over the first year of doing this, there have been moments where I'm like, why do I do this? This is crazy. Like it's, it is my art. First of all, it was never meant to monetize. I, I don't want to monetize it. I don't care if I ever make a dime on it. It was all about art in the way of like, good art is meant to make you look at yourself. Like I, I heard that description. I'm like, I think that's true. Really good art is not about showing the artist off and be like, wow, you're amazing with a paintbrush. It's meant to make you feel something, to evoke something within you that maybe you didn't know or didn't feel before. And so my goal with this show was really to make people, not to make people, to allow you the space to feel something that maybe you didn't know was there. And if, if, if this has done it even a little bit, then I have to keep doing it. And I wanted to stop multiple times. Ashley told me to keep going. Some of the emails I got told me to keep going. Some of my friends came in and were like, no, you should absolutely keep doing this. So I'm going to keep doing it and know that there are times where I'm like, this feel, still feels very self-indulgent. But I have to believe that in my, in my heart and in my mind, if even one person is moved by this as I continue to do it, then it's worth it. Because again, that's my definition of art. My definition of art is that I do something, I give of myself. It's my act of service to share my experience through whatever medium I can in hopes that it may move something else outside of me or may move someone outside of me. So if you are moved by anything I shared, this is my ask. I barely ask for what I want. I would love to hear from you. If you listen to, 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 to the episode all the way through, if there's anything that, that stood out to you, it means the world for me to hear something. In fact, like I've not asked anyone to help me promote it. I've not promoted the show all that well. I want to do more of that, but I do feel like I'm a little silly at that stuff. If you'd be so kind as to like write a comment about the show or just give it a review, even if you think it sucks, I don't care. I'd love to know what you actually feel about it. At least we're in a dialogue. Um, so yeah, if it made you feel anything, please let me know. Post it somewhere if you can. Tell someone about the show if it moved you. And just know if you do none of that anyway, I totally appreciate you. And I just want you to pay it forward. If it has nothing to do with me, that's fine. Pay it forward. Take care of yourself. Go within, do the work, help others find themselves. I want to share the recipe for fulfillment that I try to follow. And this was given to me by um, an author I really appreciate who has been very fundamental in, in the way I've shaped myself over the last couple of years. But he says, if you're seeking fulfillment, there are three simple ingredients to create that. And the first is about making art. And making art just means uh, making anything a little bit more good, true, or beautiful. Seeking novelty, which is doing things you've already done maybe a little bit differently or doing things you've never done before. And the third thing is being of service. And he, he defines being of service as just help people figure out the first two, right? So that's it. Make things a little bit more good, true, or beautiful. I love that. And do things you've never done before or find different ways to do the things you already have and then just help others figure it out. So that's really what this show is. By very definition of that, this is what this show is all about. That is my dream beyond, both to feel good and to know that I'm in service, that I'm a go-giver. So thank you for listening. I'd be amazed if you made it this far into the show, and uh, I'm going to keep doing it. So hopefully uh, hopefully you'll keep tuning in, and, and, and uh, all the best to all of you. Thank you for listening to The Dream Beyond. I hope that you received whatever message or inspiration you were meant to get from today's episode. I had a great time recording it for you. If you love the show, please take 30 seconds to subscribe, rate, and review it. That really helps get the word out. And if you want to connect with me, you can find me at instagram.com slash linkedin.com slash in slash 
or youtube.com slash nterasio.